Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Coming up on Money Beat, the first quarter is almost over. How good was it for the markets and what maybe can we expect in the uh, next couple quarters? Henry Peabody from Eaton Vance and Stephen Cookie Aro from Three Edge Asset Management. Two experts are here to help us recap the quarter. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen and Chris Dietrich in the studio here today. And look, you know, we've been talking uh, constantly, actually, about the markets through the first quarter. The first quarter is almost over. So it's right? a good time to pause. It's a good time to, to pause, right? We've got a couple more days in the quarter, but just a, just a couple. So, yeah, I think, look, we, we thought it was a good time to to take a little break here, take a step back and kind of try to see what what this quarter did that we expected, what it didn't expect it, what we didn't expect possibly. And where things are going. And where things are going. Yes. Very good, grocer. Very good. Uh just trying to help you out. I, I need I need <laughs> often need help. Uh yeah, look, you look at the stock market and you know, stocks have had a healthy first quarter, right? I mean, a little weakness lately, but we're generally healthy. Uh overseas markets, that's where you've seen some real strength, emerging market stocks. Uh, in particular, Europe is ahead, Europe is ahead of the U.S. now. Europe is ahead of the U.S. Yeah. Unbelievable! Uh, and you look at the MSCI EM index, emerging market that's up more than twelve percent. Bonds have been doing okay, right? Everyone thought that the bond market meltdown was going to happen. Hasn't quite happened. Interestingly, hit the 2.6 that a lot of people were looking at on the 10-year. Yes. And we did not see we it, did not a sell-off. We saw it actually see. rally a right. bit. Exactly. So to get through all of this, to tell us where we've been, where maybe we're going, we have two guests on the line to help us. Henry Peabody is a fixed income portfolio manager at Eaton Vance, where he looks after the multi-sector bond strategies. And Stephen Cookiaro is the chief investment officer at Three Edge Asset Management. Uh, he helped found Windward Investment Management, one of the original ETF-focused money managers, which sold to Charles Schwab back in 2010. Gentlemen, thank both of you uh, for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and as I understand it, we're you guys are you're actually in uh, office towers that look at look at, look out on each other up there in Boston. Is that right? It is. That is we'll have true. to compare we're notes in one international place, and uh, Henry's in two international places. Wow! There you go. Uh, so we're keeping it. At least the locales are, are minimized on this. And podcast. we all know that you know Boston is where all the smart people are. Immediately. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on. Whatever you had it, yeah, right. Immediately, see, you're 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 a double agent grocer. You're down here in New York, but you're really Bostonian. I'm, I, I can't let go of my roots. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay Boston. Uh, Chris Dietrich, I want I want to bring you in here. I want you to throw out the first question to our guests. Yeah, I mean, here we are, three months into the year, and so much of what we write about on any given day, and so much how we see the world, I think, is sort of wrapped up in these narratives, right? And the narrative, as we all know shifted back in November. We had this this sort of surprise election. We have Donald Trump. We have surging enthusiasm. Equities rally. You know, bonds sell off. The dollar shoots through the roof. Some of these overseas markets, like emerging, uh, emerging in particular, where there was concerns about protectionism, kind of fell immediately. Um, and that was sort of the knee-jerk. And we get into this year, and for the last three months, parts of that have really unraveled. Um, so I guess maybe 
And of course, we've had you know this 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 sort of stunning defeat in D.C. about health care, which of course raises issues about some of these pro-growth policies. But I guess the first question I have, maybe you know, Henry, maybe you can start this off. Is is what do you sort of make of this this kind of so-called tr- you know Trump trade narrative? Is that is that is it sort of a real is it real to you to think of uh, how the markets are moving I- anymore, or sort of what's what's changing in your mind? Well, I think that the, the, the Trump trade, as everyone calls it, is certainly um, it was certainly a theme in November and has been a bit of a fade um, this year. And you saw it in cyclical sectors leading last year, um, copper doing pr- fairly well, rates selling off, and a bit of a reversal now. Um, but more importantly, I think that you need to take a step back and look at growth turning uh, before the election and really independent of the election um, and the election being a sign that the mandate is for growth in that a lack of growth causes unrest. And so with that, you need to look for generally rates biased higher um, and a move towards fiscal policy as central banks have seen um, the end of their effectiveness at the margin. So in a nutshell, yes, the Trump trade is real in that it's thematic towards growth. But I think the markets, you know, they were certainly looking for a reason to go higher. There was cash on the sideline that wanted a nudge to get into the market, and they got that. Um, but a lot of it was built on faith that we're really starting to see if it's going to follow through insofar as policy is concerned. But for you, the key was really that, you know, globally, the economy was kind of turning around even before uh, the election. Steve, where, where do you sort of where are we, I guess, in this sort of Trump trade uh, and, you know, and the talking about whether it exists? I, I would agree that there were trends in place before the election that have been supportive of the equity markets and the economy. Uh, early 2016, <laughs> it looked like the Fed was going to increase rates four times in 2016 and then another four times in 2017. And when the Fed blinked and when rate hikes were much more gradual than the market feared, that really kicked off uh, another rally in stocks and in particular uh, emerging market stocks as well. When the election happened, uh, as you and I, Chris, talked right after the election, I do believe we entered what what we called at that time the hope phase, where people were hopeful that after the election there would be uh, deregulation, there would be uh, benefits from uh, practicing tax reform, there would be infrastructure spending, and the markets were excited about that, but I think that there were already some uh, factors in place. Now, Despite the fact that the attempted repeal of Obamacare didn't go well for the administration, I do think that there's an element of hope phase still intact until people lose all hope that tax reform won't happen. And since no one's expecting in the best case for tax reform to materialize until, say, August, uh, we could still see some additional support from, from that face uh, as well. Well, you know, Paul, you've written a lot about this. When you talk about how there's still, Steve, um, you know, hope evident in the market. I mean, Paul, you've written a lot about this, this idea of kind of good, good data, bad data, right? I mean, hard and soft. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily good or bad, but hard and soft that the the so-called soft data, which are all these surveys, these business surveys, the Fed regional surveys, uh, consumer confidence, which we saw this week at a 16 year old, 16 year high, that, that those types of data are are surging are positively surging and that the so-called hard data which is you know retail sales durable goods orders those kinds of things 
that that more concretely measure what's actually going on are softer. And, and the easiest place to see that is in two of the Fed GDP trackers, the New York Fed, the Atlanta Fed. Uh, one, the Atlanta Fed is pointing to a 1% GDP rate. The New York Fed is pointing to a 3% GDP rate. And the real difference between the way they, those to crunch the numbers is that the New York feds gives more weight to the, the business surveys. So I guess the question for both of you guys is without that was a lot of setup, probably more than anyone, <laughs> anybody needed, but, but Chris threw it to me. Uh, I, I guess the question for both of you guys is, is do you worry about, do you, do you see it? How do you reconcile it? What, what, you know, what do you make of that? Well, I would say that the key <clears throat> factor in, determining whether we're going to get into that higher growth phase or not would be animal spirits. And as you pointed out, there's soft data that's indicating possible green shoots of animal spirits. We saw a consumer confidence surge. We see some surveys of, cons- of capital spending starting to look more normal again and not as low as it's been. So there, there have been this, this uh, uh, confirmation from soft data that perhaps animal spirits are starting to kick in. On the other hand, uh, on the hard data, not only are the GP, GDP numbers uh, all over the place, mm. and they might be quite low in the first quarter, but until we see money velocity pick up materially, I think it's hard to, to see animal spirits translate into growth. Money velocity got really low after the Great Recession of 2008 and stayed abnormally low through this whole period. And I think that that would be some other evidence of hard data that we'd like to see start to improve before we could say animal spirits are kicking in. And you're speaking kind of about the, the, the pace with which money is flowing through the broader economy, right? I mean, velocity. That's right. It's, it's the amount, it's the degree to which money is changing hands in the real economy. We created this tremendous monetary stimulus since 2008. A lot of that money has been sitting at, at bank balance sheets and at the Fed and hasn't been changing hands and turning over in the economy to the extent it historically was. If all of a sudden money velocity gets back to normal with this massive stimulus, we could see growth higher than many people expect. All right, let's, uh, let, let's take a break. We have a message for you, and we will come back more on the other side with our first quarter roundtable wrap-up. So how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it, and massive compute power, or... Another one bites the dust. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right. Nice teamwork, guys. Search HPE GreenLake. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Money Beats uh Getting a little jump on the end of the first quarter. We're, looking, we're wrapping it up already, even though there's a couple of days we're wrapping it up already. On the phone to help us out, we have Henry Peabody from Eaton Vance and Stephen Cookiaro from Three Edge Asset Management. And we were talking about the difference between hard and soft data and, and where things are going from here. And I, I guess that kind of gets into... Well, I think one yeah. of the easiest, one of the questions I was going to just bring up is, where do you guys see the U.S. economy right now? Um, because, you know, 
beginning of 2016, everyone was fretting about a recession. We had a second half pickup in, in the economy. And I think a lot of people were really hoping that 2017 would be the year where you saw the economy sort of gain a lot of traction. But as we were discussing, the hard data hasn't fully supported that. It sort of looks like we're continuing to muddle along. What's your guys' view on the economy? I, I think one thing you need to look at is the fact that Q1 over the past handful of years has been fairly weak. Mm-hmm. So that's going to add to a little bit of negative sentiment here. Um, but objectively, we're at fairly low unemployment trend or potentially above trend growth, depending on what what uh, what you're measuring. And, you know, darn, darn near target inflation. So it seems to me that we're at mid-cycle and then take a look at the credit cycle almost later stages in that. So, um, you know, I, I, I think what we need to do is focus on where essentially the risk that we're going to run into with the Fed potentially raising rates into the tail end of the credit cycle. Um, I think that that's one of the things that we really need to focus on at this point. What does that mean? You know, Henry, you're a bond guy. So when you, th- when you think about just that sort of divergence, what, what does that sort of mean for how you see, see the world and how your portfolio, you know, takes shape? Well, you know, mo- I think fairly, fairly typically what you'd have is banks begin to constrain credit, um, credit spreads begin to widen, um, and that would be when you'd see the Fed start to come in and actually relax conditions. So for us, uh, you know, we, we like to focus, as, oppo- as opposed to looking at sectors, we like to look at individual securities. Um, and we like to find cushion against what we think is going to be some fairly, fairly volatile markets um, with investors reaching for yield and duration to generate return. Um, it creates a fairly coiled spring where we think volatility should pick up. Um, being opportunistic, you can find opportunities when that volatility picks up. So it means having a cash buffer, um, having liquidity to jump on opportunities as they rise, and re- really falling back on valuation, um, which isn't compelling in a great deal of the market, um, and strong fundamentals, um, having broad flexibility to look, for example, into emerging markets. And we've mentioned that a little bit earlier in this discussion. Yeah, we can we can jump back into that I think in a minute here, but but first, Steve, when we spoke, you know, toward the end of last year after the election, you guys were and had been for a while pretty into some of the stocks that had done best, right? Small caps, value stocks, um, they had done exceedingly well and have come off a little bit. I mean, like where where are we? I guess in that, you know, these sort of um, growth plays, uh, which have kind of been, you know banners, I guess, for this sort of enthusiasm about the Trump trade. Well, you're right. Small cap value stocks certainly have outperformed over the last several months until just recently. Uh, But I think that small cap value stocks are the kind of sector that responds best to some of what we call the hope phase. To the extent that there's tax reform, small cap stocks can benefit more greatly than large cap stocks because a lot of the large companies have found ways to lower their effective tax rate where it would mean a lot more to the small companies to see a significant tax drop. Also, to the extent that there's any kind of border tax or any kind of attempt to reduce imports and increase exports, uh, that favors small cap value stocks, which are generally more domestically oriented. Also, there was a worry that if the dollar were to strengthen, uh, that would hurt uh, large companies who export more than small companies. So, to the extent to which there is still hope that some of the fiscal policies will come into play, 
I think small cap value stocks still have some potential upside. But it's not surprising to see them uh, be more moderate now because of the big run they had at the end of last year. One of the questions, I want to get back to sort of, uh, I guess, you know, the economy, but at the beginning of the year, as we discussed, everyone was sort of expecting the U.S. to see a, a nice pickup. But the global economy is, has really, um, I think, surprised specifically Europe and, and China to some degree. How has that, you know, um, changed your sort of, you know, investing view um, in the first quarter going forward? Well, we've been looking at the potential for rotation out of U.S equities and into non-U.S. equities for some time. Since the financial uh, crisis of 2008, U.S. equities have greatly outperformed the rest of the world. I do think that the Trump election in the hope phase has given extra innings to the outperformance of U.S. equities, at least through the end of last year. But now we're looking for more opportunities to start rotating into non-U.S. equities. Like you said, uh, growth prospects have been favorable and it's not so surprising because where the Federal Reserve Board is the first major central bank to begin to normalize interest rate policy and to uh, try to normalize monetary stimulus, uh, we still see uh, tremendous stimulus generated by non-U.S. central banks around the world. So it's not surprising that that could be positive for growth elsewhere. You know, Henry, before you jump in there, let me just put put you in this slight direction, too. I mean, headed into this year... The dollar, right? The universally, it would seem. Um, although I guess you know, expectations were a little bit kind of wide. But almost everybody thought the dollar was going to rise, and and that was going to be bad for emerging markets who had borrowed and dollar debt. You're somebody who 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 you know views these as attractive. I mean, what what happened with the dollar, and sort of how does that fit in with global growth? So the the dollar is something we've been talking about for quite a long time, and the Q4 rally provided another opportunity to add exposure there. And we think we start with basic valuation, and the dollar measured on a real effective exchange rate basis was fairly well valued, was fairly well dear compared with Plaza Accord and, and, and tech bubble times. So you start there, you add in the fact that it's a fairly consensus position and that the dollar tends to decline after a couple of rate hikes, um, and you get a bit of a setup. Um, add into the fact that Trump, uh, you know, at, at his core, I, I don't think wants a stronger dollar. Um, Trump wants to dominate through trade, and that's not consistent with an exceptionally stronger dollar. Um, the Fed as well is going to be gradual. So when you get a market that is um, leaning in one direction too terribly hard, as it was with the dollar, it was, as you say, a fairly strong consensus. Um, it's a fairly attractive place to look the other way. And that fits in with this concept of looking at local denominated selective EM, um, Mexico, for example, post-election when the peso was down 20-odd percent um, and multiple standard deviations cheap. So um, what, what we try to do is find places that offer value with a broad um, approach to the markets, and this is just one lever to, to pull in order to, to, to generate return. The dollar was a consensus long, and we still think that there's probably some downside here. And even if it stays flat, uh, there are places to look both hard currency and local in EM that can offer some fairly good opportunities. Well, that's really helpful. You know, we don't have too much more time, but just spinning ahead a little bit briefly, maybe both of you, 
what's what's sort of the main thing in the next couple months that you're focused most on right we've had we have french elections coming up for one thing i mean like what what's sort of the key um data point or 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 event that is on the calendar that's sort of circled in red for you just real quick though <laughs> in the next in, in uh, it's funny thinking about the question, you know, over the next quarter, what's going to be... I, I, the next quarter is a tough one to call. It's not what's really in our DNA. And I, I, I think the, the, fr- the I should say, the, the, the Brexit and domestic elections taught, taught us that we shouldn't necessarily try to call these things because we can get surprised. But it seems like that's a lesser risk than, than many um, are talking about. I th- looking at it a little bit further, I mentioned the credit cycle and how we're backing up to some higher leverage numbers, which the Fed should be easing into, not hiking, which will keep a lid on the Fed funds rate. But uh, truthfully, I think that something the market is underpricing is geopolitical risk. And given the isolationist stance that we're at least talking about, um, it runs counter to Bretton Woods institution in the U.S. as a reserve currency. Um, that's a more of a black swan kind of event, not one we put a high probability on, but um, as the U.S. backs away from Europe at the margin, um, geopolitical issues become something to certainly watch um, and be mindful of. I would agree that black swans are, are lurking, and uh, we should look closely at what happens next with North Korea. And North Korea and Iran have joined forces, so to speak, and could cause a lot of havoc. Uh, I think Russia is still up to some mischief, and they would love to see oil prices go up. And it would be a black swan event to see an oil price shock because no one's expecting it. But generally speaking, we're looking at the yield curve slope, and we're looking at credit spreads. Credit spreads have narrowed greatly over the last several months, just recently begin to start to widen. And is that noise, or will we get a general widening of credit spreads, which would not be good news? Yield curves have been steep enough to be supportive of the economy and the markets, just began to flatten a little bit lately. Will they continue to flatten, which could be bad news, or will they steepen again? So those are some of the things we're looking at. All right. Uh, Stephen Cucchiaro from Three Edge Asset Management, Henry Peabody from Eaton Vance. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure. All right. And everyone, thanks for watching. Hey, uh, for watching, listening. And if you want to uh, if you want to write us, we want to hear from you. Write us, please. We are podcasts at DowJones.com. We'll catch up with you soon. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.